at our church this morning, a guy shared a song. He read it to us, and I'm going to read it to you. It, it went right along with what I want to share this evening. There is peace and contentment in my father's house today. Lots of food on the table, and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by, but a hush calms the singing as the father, father sadly cries. Push away from the table. Look out through the window pane. Just beyond this house of plenty lies a field of golden grain, and is ripened unto harvest. But the reapers, where are they? In the house, on the count, the children hear the father sadly say, Souls are crying, men are dying, won't you lead them to the cross? Go and find them, help to win them, win the loss at any cost. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. And I think if that's the case, it's, we live in a sad world. But we get comfortable in our, our daily walk, and maybe sometimes we forget why we're here. This evening, like he mentioned, um, I want to talk about living out the Great Commission. And I don't know how they wanted me to come at this. It's something I'm still learning and growing in daily. And so I'm just going to share what the Lord has laid on my heart. If you're a Christian, chances are you're already doing this. You're already living out the Great Commission. If you're not already living out the Great Commission, chances are you might not be a Christian. Why do I say that? Because a Christian is a follower of Christ. And I thought, what did Christ do? What was Christ here for? And Christ was here to do the will of His Father. So as Christians, we're here to do the will of the Father, right? Well, what was the will of the Father? Second um, Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So His will is that all should come to repentance. And then the Bible asks the question, How shall they hear if no one is preaching? You know, how are they going to know that they should come to repentance if there's no one out there? Matthew 5.13, I'm going to read, bring in a lot of scriptures. You don't have to turn to all of them. I'm not going to turn to all of them, but you can write them down for future reference. Matthew 5.13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but, the salt, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, but put it under a bushel... Put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If we aren't being the salt, if we're not permeating the world around us, if, if the Christian doesn't have time to stop to witness, what good are we? We're good to be cast out and trotted underfoot of men. The Bible says that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Can a Christian with Christ living in their heart be hid? Can our lives... Are we hiding our light? Um, is your light shining out? Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So that's the Great Commission right there. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. Luke twenty four forty seven. I want to bring this in because I was asked to speak on the Great Commission from the aspect of, are you doing it right where you're at? Are you doing it here at home? Are you doing it on a day-to-day -day basis? Luke twenty four forty seven is the Great Commission. 
and what was added to after it, it says, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay? So, if you think about it, someone did their job. Because we're a long ways from Jerusalem. Okay? And last I checked, we're probably sending people back to Jerusalem. Because something happened along the way, and, you know, the gospel has kind of waned there, if, if I can say that. So we're, you know, we're starting to send people back. But the Great Commission also says go. It doesn't say just stay. So I have a problem with, well, I just want to stay in my house. I don't want to go anywhere. That's not really part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is going wherever God takes us. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. I believe each of our churches started out with a vision. I believe Bethany had a vision. Are you carrying that vision on? I believe McDowell had a vision. Are we carrying that vision on? Um, We have a vision, but where there is no vision, the people perish. Should it ever be said of a group that we've stayed so long in one area that we've completely ruined our witness? Well, you know, uh, Mennonites have been in the valley for a really long time, right? Um, And, and... There's so many different branches of Mennonite, okay? So if you want to go to tractor pulls and fairs, you go to this church. If you want to wear a smaller covering, you go to that church. If you want to drive a car, you go to that church, okay? And so we have all these brands of Mennonites. And are we ruining our own witness? You know, what is the world seeing? Are they seeing that, oh, we're just church hopping? What, what do they actually see in our life? And, and you could say, well... You know, what do you mean? The Mennonites are highly respected. You know, they think a lot of us around here. What, what do they see when they think about you? Um, I'll look at my own life. What do they see when they think of David? You know, I'm highly respected in the community. He owns a gas station. Uh, he sells cinnamon buns, uh, sells real estate. You know, I don't see anything about God in there. You know, do they know that I care about their soul? Do they know that, you know, I want them to be saved? Or am I just highly respected because of my standing in the community? I don't care if I'm highly respected for owning a store or any of this other stuff. I want to be known that I actually care for the community. I care for their soul. I I want to make a difference. So we have to remember, where is our vision? Mark 8, 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of of his Father with his holy angels. You know, sometimes... They don't know that I desire this because I'm not saying it. Maybe I'm ashamed. Maybe I don't know what I believe. Maybe I don't know where to find it in the Bible. You know, and so I'm going to stick my neck out and say something, and then I'm not going to be able to back it up. Because, you know, smartphones have come in handy because you can kind of, like, talk into them and, you know, oh, I know where it is. Um, but how much are we in the Word? Most of us, if not all of us, own trucks. When we farm, we have newer fancier equipment we have microwaves you know we have all this technology to get the job done okay so we should be much more efficient people how many of you have more time in your day today than you had 20 years ago you know we have more technology we have more ways of getting things done faster and yet is that enabling me to take cookies to my neighbors is that enabling me when i drive by my neighbors to stop in knowing they could keep me for an hour is that you know is this technology actually helping us Or are we just using it to further our own interests? Just a question.
the questionnaire that was sent out um, whether we're interested in missions. I hope it was an unfair assessment of the situation. Because when you break down the numbers, most people are interested in missions. Praise the Lord. Most people are interested in getting to missions in future. Not so good. We need to be involved today. It, this isn't some future thing. Who knows what the future holds? Who knows if we're going to be around in the future? I'm interested in missions today. Let's be doing it right now. Let's not say, I'm going to start this mission. You know, I'm willing to go help out this church in the future. I could tell my wife, I want to lose some weight tomorrow. I want to, oh, there's many different examples, you know, of things that we're going to do down the road. Maybe I'll fix that drawer that's been falling out tomorrow. You know, we put these things off that we don't want to do. Tomorrow is the day we do stuff we don't want to do today, and it never comes, so thankfully we don't have to do it. But when it comes to mission work, let's not put off things till tomorrow. Luke 10.2 says, Therefore say unto them, The harvest truly is great, but labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. That was said more than 2,000 years ago, probably. Or roughly 2,000, somewhere in there. And I think the harvest is getting greater, and the labors are getting fewer. So we have a lot of work cut out for us. And I'm talking to myself. I have a lot of work to do. I'm blessed to have the store because a lot of times this harvest comes to me. And it's a challenge because then I have to be the one to open my mouth. Okay? I have people come to me steadily. You know, and, and I have the opportunity. And sometimes I take it and sometimes I fail miser- miserably. I think if we understand why we're here, we can better know what to do when we're here. So let's start at the beginning. We'll go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living creature that moveth upon the earth. And then Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Okay, so from the beginning, our, why we're here is God put us in this earth to take care of it replenish it, subdue it, keep it, dress it, you know. And so as a group, I'm going to give us like an A-. minus. We're pretty good at this. You know, we take care of our animals. We're pretty good at replenishing, repopulating. Um, You know, we we got it down. So I'm going to give us a pretty good mark there. Then in Revelations 4, we'll go to the end of the book. We start at the beginning. We'll go to the end. Revelations 4, verse 11. Revelations 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. So, from that I gather that we are created for God's pleasure, correct? Thou hast created all things. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. So we were created for God's pleasure. What brings God pleasure? That was my next question. So, if we're created to give Him pleasure, what can we do that gives Him the pleasure, right? That's what we have to figure out. Okay, so, Haggai 1 Um, You might have heard this from your superintendent this morning. Um, We learned where to find that right after Zephaniah. Haggai chapter 1. I just want to read verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Now I want to give you a little background. These people had um, been captives in Babylon, and they'd come back, and they'd built their own houses. And it says, you all lived in sealed houses, and my house is laying in ruins. 
So they had come home, and they had built themselves really nice houses, probably luxurious houses, and God's house was laying in ruins. Well, there was also prophecy involved in here, and so they were saying, well, we can't build it because it said it wasn't going to be rebuilt for like 70 years or something. So we're just going to sit around and wait for it to be rebuilt. But Haggai said, now's the time. Let's rebuild the temple, and let's start working on it. And God said, if you start working on my temple, that's going to bring me pleasure. That's something that's going to bring me pleasure. I think it's still today, if we're working on building God's temple, that's going to bring him pleasure. Well, we think of these earthly structures. Building a church, yeah, I think that's going to bring him pleasure. But bringing more souls into the church, I think that's what's really going to bring him pleasure. So, helping uh, draw a soul, we can't win them. We can't be the actual ones to save their soul. But we can be the ones that draw, Correct? Luke 15, 7 says, And I say unto you, Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Then in Ezekiel, if you want to turn there, Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, verse 23, and we'll read, clean down to, well, we'll read Ezekiel 18, 23 to 27. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? That was a question God was asking, and I'll tell you the answer. It was no. He has no pleasure in the wicked that will die. Have I any pleasure in the wicked that they die? No, saith the Lord, and not that he should return from his way and live. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In the trespass that he hath trespassed, in the sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. I want, to, want you to note that. If a righteous man turned from his way, you know, we hear this, eternal security. Well, this uh, does away with eternal security, and they might say this is the Old Testament, but I think it's still the way God feels today. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, it's like he didn't even do righteousness in the first place. God forgot that. You know, it's like he's not... He's going to die in his sin. It's not going to help you if you live the first 80 years of your life a good Christian and you don't live the last two years of your life. If you turn from your righteousness, you're going to die in sin. Yet he said, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness, that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. And then verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. So God doesn't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has pleasure when a wicked man turns to that which is right. God was glorified when the house was repaired. Let's continue to build his kingdom. So we know why we're here. We kind of know a few things that bring him glory. And I wanted to tell Levi, I appreciate your devotions, because it mentioned, you know, giving God glory. That's why we're here. We're here to give God glory. So I want to just look at a few practical ways that we can be a light or that we can be the opposite of light, that we can just add to the darkness. We need to have something to offer. Okay, so if, if we're bringing souls, what are we bringing them to? The knowledge of Jesus. Um, but do we actually have something to offer them? It's really hard to witness to someone, or even in real estate, it's hard to sell them something if I don't have something to offer them, okay? I could try, you know, well, I would love to sell you a house, but I don't have any to offer, okay? So we, we need to have something to offer. If you dress funny, 
you don't partake in the world's entertainment, and you're not living for money, what do you have to offer? <laughs> okay? That's what the world, you know, they want entertainment, they want money, they want pleasure. If we're, and we look weird, you know, what do we have to offer them? Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declared plainly that they seek a country, and if truly they had been mindful of the country from whence they came, they might have opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And I do not find anywhere in the Bible that it's talking about these people all lived in pleasure, and, you know, no, they were looking for a promise. You know, today we've had most of that promise fulfilled, okay? We've been given the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. We've been given forgiveness of sins and a wiping away of sins. It wasn't just a sacrifice to atone us till the next sacrifice. Jesus' blood washed away our sins. We received that promise. We received the promise of a Savior that these people were looking for. They were longing for, and they died in faith just looking ahead. We've received most of the promises. The only promise that we haven't received yet is heaven, and hopefully that's the way we're heading. Okay? The, the, <clears throat> when we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, um, we, we need to take him into our lives, and we have to be able to share that with our neighbors. That's something that is unexplainable. When the Spirit's working in our lives, um, that's something that we have to offer. The sad part is that as American Mennonites, we've started to live what I've entitled the American Mennonite Dream. Have you ever heard of it? Okay, well, let me, let me simplify it. Um, it's pretty simple. It's virtually the same as the American dream. So let's, what is the American dream? Prosperity, success, and believe that more stuff brings more happiness. Okay, that's what I classify as American dream. This is American Mennonite dream. It's very similar. Pro, uh, prosperity, success, and toys bring happiness just as long as it's done to the honor and glory of God. Okay, I was told that you could have four or five farms by a Mennonite preacher... And as long as you did it to the honor and glory of God, you could drive whatever vehicle you wanted, you could own whatever house you wanted, as long as you did it all to the honor and glory of God. So I'm going to have a big house, but I'm going to have lots of company, and I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to have a new truck, but I'm going to do it to, well, you can fill in the blanks. I preached on denying self last Sunday, or a couple Sundays ago, I'm not sure when it was. But um, it's not just a one-time deal. Myself keeps popping up all the time. And it's, it's a dying daily, you know, and, it, and it's frustrating. But when we lose focus, suddenly we like, I don't know, we start justifying things. Um, in, the, in the American Mennonite dream, we've justified it, sanctified it, and sanitized it. Okay, let me, let me point it out. You can own a 2018 Chevy Duramax diesel LTZ as long as you use it to pull the cam clothes trailer. Or if you're a Ford guy, you can use it buy a 2018 Power Stroke Platinum Edition, as long as, you know, what it gets you is getting more money for the kingdom, okay? Um, we make excuses. We look, we've started to justify what we do by looking at our brother and sister, okay? The Bible in 2 Corinthians 10, 12b says, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise, Okay, And so we've started justifying stuff. Well, I see his house, I can have a big house. And, you know, 
let's say I'm in the market for a pickup. So the obvious thing for me to do is go to a minister's meeting and look at the pickups, and then I'll know which pickup I can own, right? Because they're preachers, they drive them, uh, you know, I can drive it too then. But that's not how it works. I have to do what's right in my heart. I have to do what's right for what God's revealing to me. It could be perfectly fine for them to have a diesel pickup, and they need it to pull stuff and all this stuff, and, and I could not need it at all. And I could be buying it because of a status symbol. And in Highland County, you'd probably want to put a four or five inch lift kit. And, you know, just stuff like that. Because when it says, you know, when with the Romans do as the Romans. But, you know, there's different, we, we justify things. I'll just put it, we'll stop there. Um, we sanitize stuff. Okay, I use my boat to the honor and glory of God. Okay, I, it, you know, it's a, a pontoon boat. So I can take people out there and I can counsel with them. And, you know, it's a good time when we're fishing and, you know, it's non-confrontational and um, you get the point. Okay. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying we sanitize stuff or at least sanctify it. Right. Um, I only watch Christian movies. I don't read the part in the rules and disciplines about not watching stuff that's act out. That's where we sanitize it. You know, it's, it's Christian. You know, well, they can't blame me. You know, these are. These are actually live people. Uh, you know, they're not, well, I guess actors are live people too. But anyway, we justify things. I'm here to tell you that I'm afraid that if we're living the American dream, chances are we're not living the heavenly one. And we're pretty mindful of the country that we're in. And we, we start forgetting that we're looking for a heavenly country that has foundations, it says, whose builder and maker is God. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation as there, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows but thou O man of god flee these things follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses godliness with contentment is great gain how many of you are content with food and raiment you should be a very content people because last time i checked my freezer i didn't know what was on the bottom of it I don't think I'm a, ever going to go hungry. And if I do, the Lord will still provide. But I have plenty of food and raiment. I should be the most content person any, you know, that there ever was. But somehow, you know, I, I go back to the American dream. I think a really sad person, the only person more sad than the one living the American dream is the one living the American Mennonite dream. You know, because what it is, is... We're not partaking in the same pleasures they're partaking in because, you know, we're, we have to justify it. We can't do the things that they're doing. We're not going to go to Las Vegas. We're not going to, you know, do certain things because, you know, we're Christians. But we're going to drive nice vehicles, have fancy houses, and, and all of a sudden we start living for self. And it, it talks about those that desire riches. It says they that will be rich. It doesn't say this is just a rich man's problem. This can be a poor man's problem. Just the desiring to get rich is wrong. 
That, that's not the Christian's focus at all. Why? We're here to make money to grow his kingdom. We're not here to make money to grow our own kingdom. And this, while some Christians coveted after, you know, why do I say they're Christians? Because it says that after they coveted after these riches, they've erred from the faith. So they initially had the faith, and then they erred from the faith because they were coveting after riches. Have you done any self-examination? Have you asked someone else if they think that your life is portraying someone that's living the American Mennonite dream? And have you asked someone in maybe a similar financial bracket, or have you asked someone that's really going to tell you the truth? (laughs) You know, because so often, you know, I'm afraid to say anything because I'm struggling in the same area. Okay, so I can't say anything because they're going to look at me, and they're going to look at my stuff, and they're going to justify it. (laughs) You know? Is that, how, is that how we're operating? Or do we look at the Bible and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be different? What am I going to have to offer that person if they see I'm living for the same things they're living for? And I'm not happy. Because a, a person living for money is never happy. But a person living for God has a joy that they can't quite get their finger on and they want it. When a Christian life revolves around doing the will of the Father, there is contentment. It's a blessed life. It's a a life of peace. And there's physical blessings that are involved. But I thought, you know, when you're living for the Father, when you're witnessing, when you're doing His will, you're laying up treasures in heaven. And I thought, isn't it enough that I'm going to get to be with Jesus? Isn't it enough I'm going to get to be with my Savior? And yet, I'm laying up treasures. (laughs) It's like bonus, bonus pay. And it's way better than my job pays. We have something to offer. Philippians four or Philippians two thirteen says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may receive in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You have life to offer. They're living a life of defeat and death and sin you have life and it says we have life more abundantly we have a more abundant life um first timothy 5 6 says but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she yet liveth a person who has not died to self is not truly alive if you haven't died to yourself you're not really living once you die to self then you can live and you can have that joy that only comes from doing the will of the father I try to make it personal in my own life, and Julie and I have been in the McDowell Church probably eight years, okay? And so what started out, well, McDowell Church has probably been around for 15 or 16 years, okay? And what started out as a mission church has become my home church. And what started out feeling as a foreign country to me feels like home. I love McDowell, but I've settled in. I've got accustomed to it. It feels home. And what originally started out as a mission can also feel like a great escape. You know, I get away from the crowds of Harrisonburg. Praise the Lord. And I can sit around my own fire with my own children, and I kind of lose the vision. You know, once we've been somewhere a certain amount of time, you have to keep that flame alive. It, it takes actual effort because you, you get accustomed to your surroundings. And all of a sudden, that, well, I need to tell my neighbor about the Lord becomes... Well, you know, my neighbors know what I stand for, and I'm going to stay at home, and, you know, they should figure it out. You know, just look at the way we live. 
Philippians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. John 10, 10, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now what I would like to look at another important area. Living a consistent Christian life. If we're in a community any amount of time, the only thing that's going to make a difference is if we've been living consistently. Okay? There was an old saying, and I couldn't find exactly who said it, but it goes like this, and we've all heard it. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Because most of the time, our community is just examining us. They're just watching us. They're waiting for us to make a mistake, it feels like sometimes. You know, you're, they're looking at you. They see what vehicles you drive. They see the homes you live in. They see how our young people conduct themselves at 7-Eleven. Um, they see where our young people go in town. You know, and they're watching us, and they're watching what our young people are doing because, you know, Christians are supposed to be different. And it seems like if we make a misstep, they have this little book, and in the book, they write down, okay, David did this. That's a black mark against the Mennonite church. And in case I ever feel convicted, like maybe I should give my heart to the Lord, I'm going to pull out my little black book and say, oh, you know, David's doing this. He's not a Christian. You know, I'm not going to do it. So they put that little mark in the little black book, and they save that for later. Well, the same is true that maybe if I live consistently and, or I ask for forgiveness, okay, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And then all of a sudden they pull out their little back book and like, okay, he made that right. And he did say he is sorry. So he, another check mark for the good. He's like, well, he actually practices what he preaches. You know, he believes what he says. And so, you know, they think there's something different about him. So when we make a mistake, let's remember to make it right. Because we're humans. And I think the world needs to see that. We're not some perfect people up on a platform and we're better than you. The only thing that we really have going for us is that we're free. We were once in their position. We were once lost. We were once in need of a Savior. And yet, we've become free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Next thing I want to look at is, we're not on an island all by ourselves. You know, sometimes we think, my actions aren't going to affect anyone else. Wrong. You can be almost anywhere in the world, and you'll run into people that know someone from somewhere else, and then they're like, well, yeah, I know you guys. I, I ran into him because I know him. Well, you know what it is. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. We'll read 6 to 16. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planted and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. There we go. So we're God's building, and we can add to God's building. We can build it greater and better. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifested, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so by, a, by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Okay. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? 
Do you know that there's people that stop at my store that also shopped at Hartman's Machine Shop or whatever equipment over in Broadway and then later went shopping at Sharp Shopper? You know, they run into a lot of Mennonites at those places. And how I live can be a turnoff. And, you know, they could be trying to witness to him at Hartman's. And they're looking at my life and saying, you know, this ain't right. You know, you're telling me one thing, but they're living another one. I'll just give you a little instance. Um, Due to the environment and lack of anything profitable to Christians, I've had to explain to some of my neighbors why we don't go to tractor pulls and fairs. Okay? And this is really foreign to people back there because this is their main hobby. You know, they just love tractor pulls. Let's go. Let's have a good time. You know, fill up in snacks and chips and whatever else goes on. Um, and, and so I try to explain to them, you know, it's just not a Christian environment. You know, it's not a place I would want my children to go. It's not a place that, you know, I, I support. And then it becomes even harder when they say, well, you know, I saw a lady there with a little white cap. Isn't she part of y'all? And I'm like, uh... I don't know. I hope not. You know, but, you know, I don't know what to say. I also have to start stuttering and stammering. And, you know, I wonder why some of these inconsistencies happen. You know, are we, we allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit? Um, all that I've seen of truck pulls, and you say, how do you know so much about truck pulls? Well, they stop at the store, they fill up their trucks, and they get snacks. And, and so they come in, and just from the little bit that I see there... I get a feeling that it's not where I want to be, okay? It looks like where the men go to show off their souped-up trucks and the women go to show off themselves. You know, that, that's kind of what it appears to me at the store. You know, they're, they're all about show. They're all dressed up and, you know, look at my truck. It's shined up. I've got a $15,000 paint job and a $20,000 motor, and I just won $200 last week. Well, that tells me it's not for the money. They blew a transmission and spent a lot more than that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Are we truly being led by that spirit? Does the spirit ever tell us to do something contrary to the word of God? The short answer is no, because the Holy Spirit is God, and the Bible is God's word, and the two can't be contrary. They're not gonna, the spirit's not going to say, you know, I'm just following the Spirit, and he didn't tell me not to go, so I'm going to go. Well, maybe the Bible told you not to go. Well, they don't contradict. The Bible is God's will revealed to us. And 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if it's not a good Christian event, is it chances it's a worldly event? Is it chances it's, it's part of the things of the world? Just saying, something to think about. How I lived in the past, you would have probably thought I was li- you know, reading out of a different book. Because there was a time in my past that I definitely loved the world and I loved the things that were in the world. But God brought me out of that. He saved me. And, you know, there was times that I was a really bad, uh, what do they call it, example for the Mennonites. You know, I, I look good on the outside, but inside it just wasn't so. But we're labors together. We need to quit thinking about ourselves, and we need to think about one another. What are my actions doing to promote the gospel? What am I doing in town that's going to draw others to Christ? Romans 10:13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how 
Shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So your neighbor's watching you, and I just thought of one example. Your neighbor's watching you, and he sees you're living consistently. Okay, And in another town, maybe another state, his mother passes away, but she wasn't a Christian. So he's like, well, I need a minister for the funeral, and I like this Mennonite guy because, you know, he's my next-door neighbor, so I'm going to try to find a Mennonite preacher. So he gets a Mennonite preacher, he preaches at the mother's funeral, and because of your consistent living, the minister was able to witness to a lot of non-believers at this funeral. Okay, that's just one example of something that can happen. How can we make it practical in our everyday lives? Okay, so some of you are dairy farmers, and you say, well, how am I going to be a witness? Okay, well, chances are that the milkman, the serviceman, the guy at the feed store, there's plenty of options where people are coming to you, and you're going to be capable of sharing a word in season. Okay, these people are coming to you. You just have to say, instead of um, saying, oh, you know, these milk prices, you know, they're really getting to me. I'm about ready to throw in the towel. And, or you could say, you know, God's really provided for me. You know, it's been such a blessing. And, and all of a sudden they're looking, that guy's different. You know, all the rest of the guys are complaining about milk prices. And, and he's telling me, you know, how God's provided. Um, maybe you do construction. I know there's some construction people here. Chances are there's people on your crew that aren't Christians. Okay, there's just chances. And when I was in construction, chances were that the music that was played wasn't very good. Okay. Now, do they catch me singing along with the music? Or do I politely ask them if they could turn it down a bit? Just a thought. Um, there's different ways that we can just say a word in season, and we can be doing our normal job. We can be doing our everyday life, as it were, right here at home, and we can be witnesses. We actually need to be witnesses when we're doing, you know, going about our work. How about the ladies? They're stuck at home taking care of the kids. Is that how it is? Well, chances are you have to go and get some groceries. And you're at Sharp Shop or Walmart or whatever. How do you treat the cashier? Does she know that you have the joy of the Lord? Are you saying, how's your day? How are you doing today? I've seen Mennonite ladies completely ignore the cashier and look grumpy. And that's just not a good thing for us as Mennonites. I've done the same thing, okay? So I'm trying to do a real estate transaction on my cell phone, and I'm standing there at line, and I'm, like, pushing stuff down in the grocery line, and I'm telling the kids to get out of the candy. And, you know, it's, I could do this later on. You know, I could wait five minutes, have a conversation with the cashier or whatever, and, you know, just at, be personal. And, and they won't see, you know, this. And I'm not saying we should put on a show, but I'm saying... There's opportunities everywhere. These opportunities exist. In closing, I would like to look at God needs to be our all in all. He needs to have our everything. And um, Exodus 23 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's a pretty basic verse. Okay? And we all think that we have that one down. We don't have any gods before him. You know, God is, we know God's the almighty. He's a sovereign God. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you can't be a witness at your job, I suggest you get a different job. If your job keeps you from reaching out, get a different job. If God calls you somewhere, 
Don't stay where you are because of your job, because God can help you get another job. God will provide. If God calls you somewhere, he'll provide. I wonder if it's possible for a spirit-filled person to spend a 10-hour work day and not talk about God. Should you be able to hide your light for 10 hours a day? It's just a thought. When we're at work, a little bit of it should sneak out. (laughs) If we're filled with the spirit, when we open our mouth, some of it should slip out. Okay, if you're filled with bad things, I know when you open your mouth, it slips out. So if we're filled with the Spirit, you know, it just can't, it can't help but praise God. So are you sure we're putting no other gods before us? Are we putting any, okay, let's say we're not putting any gods before us. Okay, we got that down. We're not serving any other gods. Are we putting anything before God? That's called idolatry, right? If we put anything before God. Let's just briefly examine us. So I'm, I'm just assuming that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? That's the commandment. That's what it takes to be a Christian. I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And let's say God calls you to a mission church. And he calls you through the brotherhood, or if you're in tune, he calls also the Spirit's leading. But what if God's timing's really bad and you just bought a farm? Oh, well, God's not calling me. I just bought a farm. Are you sure? Have you tried putting that farm on the market? You know, I'm just saying, we say we're not putting anything in front of God, but we use little excuses. And that seems like a pretty big one. Um, So let's move down a little bit. I'm not going to move there because my wife doesn't want to be that far from her family. Okay, I want to be close to my family. So I'm not going to go to this mission. Or, in my case, dad really needs my help on the farm. I don't want to let my dad down. But I feel God leading me. What do I do? Do I do what my flesh wanted to do and stay on the family farm? Or do I go where God calls me? It was a hard decision. <laughs> and, and God opened the doors. And he's provided the whole way. You know, when, when God calls us to go, and if Sometimes when something's going really bad, that's what we take as the Lord's leading. Okay, so the farm's going to rot. Uh, I'm just ready, you know, and then we, we feel like it's our own leading. You know, like, I'm going to go on a mission because <laughs> I'm tired of farming. No, we, we have to follow God's leading and, and not put anything before us. My business is finally starting to make money. I've been working on it eight years, and it's finally taken off. I don't want to leave now. The Great Commission said go. And I, I think if we're just stuck in <clears throat> one place, it's not going to do us well. I'm not, maybe you were called to Bethany. Well, start witnessing. Maybe you are witnessing. Praise the Lord. I hope you are. I think we, I've, I've always been impressed with Bethany Church. And I'll pat you on the back because you can boast about other churches. I, I've always felt welcomed. I've always felt real accepted here. And I could feel the love of Bethany Church. And, and it's a blessing. And I think the community can feel your love, too. But keep it up. Don't lose that vision. Other excuses, they just keep getting weaker weaker. I don't want to have to drive that far to Walmart. Or the school's not very big. You know, I want my kids to hang out with more kids their age. If God calls you, you could be the only family. You know, it, there's sometimes there's sacrifices that even in my own mind, you know, there was a time I was called to go somewhere, and... My personal feeling was, I don't want to go. 
And I, I prayed about it, and I said, God, I'm, I'm open to your will, but ideally I don't want to go. And, and thank God he didn't send me there because it just it wasn't even a possibility. So it was a pretty clear sign. If you cannot physically go, uh, that seems like a good sign to me. Matthew 10, 36 says, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. If your parents are keeping you from doing God's will, that's not an excuse. You know, sometimes we say, we need to honor our father and mother. But we need to honor God above our father and mother. If they're keeping us from actually doing the will of God, it says, if you love father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you're keeping your children from doing God's will, that's wrong. It says, he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We need to have the ability, and I, I have young children, and I don't, want the, I don't like the idea of someday they want to go on a mission, and I have to let them go. Because we want our children close. We know what they're doing. We know what they're up to. Um, and it's just a little security of having your children around you. But sometimes we just have to let go. Remind me of that in like 15 years. Is God really our all in all? The Great Commission is not accomplished on a two-year mission trip. If you're not being a witness where you live right now, you're not going to miraculously turn into a Bible-preaching, soul-winning, demon-casting, head-hunting, saving missionary. So it's not if you're witnessing where you are, chances are you'll make a pretty good missionary somewhere else. If you're just going there for the excitement, chances are you're not going to be a very good missionary. Do God's work where he calls you. So that in the end it can say, as Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. So it can be for others. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that we give our, our whole life to God. Not just a part of it, not the part that feels good or the part we don't need anymore, but our, our whole life. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's stand for a word of prayer.